guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. I think out of respect for Howard Stern, we should restore his the full tone and timber of his voice in that. Yes. And not use insult, a phone recording. Yeah, and not insult him by, you know, morphing his his voice. You know what we can I do? I don't need the power of uh, Sirius and Howard Stern to come after us for... No. You're good. I Well, I know that. <laughs> I'm, I'm playing it up a little bit here, Bobby. No, I'm. I was going to say they don't know we exist, but they do know we exist. They talked about our show on Howard Stern. What was that again? It was as OJ relate. Oh, when OJ yes. came on here, right? And they played clips of the show. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't the first time we had OJ, right? Or you had booked OJ? We no, had, we'd had, had OJ. Twice? At least. At least twice. OJ who? (laughs) OJ McDuffie. Welcome to the February 5th, 2020 Year of Our Lord edition of the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis Besaw and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants. Not only are they going to do your accounting, your taxes, your litigation support, acquisitions and mergers, they made a big acquisition here recently. I think we're supposed to get some new copy. Really? Yeah, because things are changing. Excellent. CTBK keeps growing. Are they adding more letters? So that could be trouble. That could be trouble. Well, it's not the letters. It's the names. And you can bet it won't be Smith or Jones. So we'll see. Hopefully they keep expanding with their sponsorship of the Tim Graham Show brought to you by CTBK. Or maybe they say we just spent so much on this acquisition we can't afford. We're out. Maybe they could acquire the the Tim Graham Show. Uh, Oh, I like that. Tim, I do tremendous numbers of deals. In fact, I'm doing one today. You can get his help. (laughs) Ah. One of my favorite things is when uh, Stephen Colbert does Don and the Giant Impeach. Do you watch, anybody in here watch that? I've seen that. And he just pulls out a random quote just like that on Trump, and there's a cartoon that goes along with it. So it's (laughs) totally pulled out of context, and it just sounds like he's... Right. He's bat doo doo. Yeah, and it's like, what? (laughs) But it is nice that Donald Trump is doing tremendous deals. He was even doing one that day. Right. When he was talking to me. I mean, who's to, who, who was I at that time? Tim Graham, Buffalo News sports reporter, to say, I don't, really? I'm going to need a second source on this. Right. Give me both numbers if you can, okay? Here in studio with Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, Jonah Bronstein of Bronstein and Bronstein, the sports injury attorneys, Bobby Rosati diddling the knobs, pulling up Donald Trump sound, with <laughs> Bobby with the drops. He's the Stevie Johnson of our... Oh, crew. No. <laughs> He's got all the drops. The Ronnie Harmon. Where are we with these Buffalo Sabres? We're going to have Chad DiDominicis from Die by the Blade. He'll be on later on in the show to talk about this mess that's going on. Talking points. The Sabres aren't doing very well with their talking points this week. Jason Bottrell coming out and uh, really not engendering 
confidence in the fan base, even before last night's 6-1 to loss to Colorado at home. Buffalo Bills, really nothing to update there, which is good. I think being quiet, it's probably a good place to be if you're the Buffalo. If your one Bills drive is, uh, you know, just whistling past this graveyard that is is the Buffalo Sabers. The problem being is that a lot of people work both places. PSE is uh, not really enjoying the afterglow of a fine Bills season in which they win ten games and go to the playoffs and have a pretty smooth offseason ahead. It should be. I wrote about it today at The Athletic, uh, $80 million in salary cap space. They can sign all their guys if they want to. They're in control. Yes, they need to go out and get a receiver. Matt Fairburn, you've been writing about that, but they, they have picks in the draft that they can go after a receiver. There's free agency options. Greg Olson coming in to visit, which is a, a nice – Pleasant development, I think, if you're a Bills fan, because even though they signed 43 tight ends last year, that uh, they can stand to upgrade. A lot of really good stuff to talk about with the Bills. In in that, again, that offseason afterglow, it's a quiet time. We're kind of decompressing still. The Super Bowl was just three days ago. The parade was today in Kansas City, so still tech, still the 2019 season we're dealing with. But if you work for Pagula Sports and Entertainment, you're not sitting back and thinking, man, things are good because fans don't care. I see the vitriol on social media. There is zero credit being given to the Pagulas for the Bills' success. They got it right with hiring Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott, apparently, so far, two playoff appearances in the last three years after getting it wrong so many times. The fans just want to know. And Kim Pagula tweets a picture from the Super Bowl with the guy from Penn State, not Jordan Peele, Michael Key. Key is it just my is he a three name guy? Michael Keegan Key, I think. Michael Keegan Key, and the take a look at the responses on there is like have fun in Miami while our team up here, our hockey team drowns. Enjoy yourself. Well, I think that's what it is because you said they don't get credit for the Bills' success, but I think they do. Maybe well, they, it's it's a little bit out of season now. Now's not the do. time. Well, to do yeah. that. but it's I think there's a vocal. I don't want to say the minority, but a smaller segment of fans hockey fans but they're very vocal right now about feeling like the pagulas have kind of abandoned the hockey team that they're so preoccupied with the bills the nfl the stadium their other projects uh you know the daughter playing tennis that they're just ignoring the sabers and their issues i I don't know i think that's more of where the vitriol is coming from not that the sabers are struggling on the ice but that it seems as if ownership doesn't care and the gm has to come out and say no the owners do care which in turn makes him look kind of lousy. He was kind of like, yeah, they're really not happy with me. Well, shouldn't and, that be obvious? But like- yeah, which we all are, should know. But I do think there's an element, there's a weird crossover when it comes to sports fans in this town. There's some who are m- way bigger hockey fans than they are football fans. And I think they're right to feel kind of slighted the way things are going. I don't think anybody expected them to make the playoffs, but it's not that hard to expect them to 
go forward with this 50th anniversary season and, you know, spell legends' names properly on the back of jerseys. and It's just, all that stuff. Just do little stuff like it's that. It's all that stuff. But they yeah. love, and then they see them enjoying being a part of the club of NFL owners, which, I don't know, being an NHL owner, you're not part of the same exclusive club as you are when you're an NFL owner. That's right. And there are things that are expected of you when you're an NFL owner. You are to be at the Super Bowl. I don't know that there really was any kind of decision to be made by the Pagulas. I, it's, it's everybody's there. It's our year-end celebration. I, Roger Goodell insists that you're you're there and and a part of the the, the festivities. Family. That's right. This is the NFL family. So I, I'm not faulting the Pagulas. I'm, I'm talking about it from a fan perspective. I think the Pagulas deserve some credit. And, and more, maybe people should realize that they've done a lot of really impressive things. And I think that we're well beyond the part of their ownership. They've been around and doing this for, what, nine years? That's when they first emerged as Sabres owners um, and Bill's owners for five or six, whatever it's been. We don't need to get through the whole litany of things that they have done well and saving the bills and Harbor Center and all the all the stuff downtown, um, the development that it was kickstarted by them. <clears throat> Jonah, it's about really bothering me. Can you fix your sweatshirt? How do you your want zipper? Me to fix it? I don't. I don't know. I did I, that on purpose. It's was it too ventilation. Did, Ah, oh, it's, it's a, a double. Is it? Oh, it's a double zipper. Oh, I see. It's one of those sport ones. It's one of those. De- All right, so I'm explaining. I thought it was that you sometimes you get a bad zipper or, and you miss zip, and the bottom comes undone yeah, while like the that. rest yeah. and you can't. All right, that's what I thought it was. And then, then the whole it sweatshirt's was bo- broken. It was distracting me. Yeah, I, I, sorry. And I've lost. My, oh, so. Yeah, so Kim Pagula tweeting this photo, and they're just getting tons of blowback just from her being at the Super Bowl. But that's where this Sabres fan base is right now. And uh, all the attention is on the hockey team. As soon as the Bills' season ends, and I'm sure there's at least some Pat Mahomes regret involved. Seeing Pat Mahomes do what he does in the Super Bowl, he was the MVP. I didn't think he deserved it. I thought Damian Williams deserved to be the MVP. But anyways, Pat Mahomes is the one who gets the MVP and is riding with Mickey Mouse down Main Street at uh, the Magic Kingdom. And you know all the good stuff that comes along with it. The parade in Kansas City today, their first in 50 years. Um, I'm assuming that maybe they didn't have a parade. They, did they even do parades 50 years ago? I don't know. Maybe they didn't even have one when... Len Dawson and Hank Hank Stram won the won the Super Bowl. Wasn't that what Disney World was for? Well, they still well they still Bobby is a Patriots fan. No, you I know. I know. I re- I really did. I figured. I thought maybe that's where the tradition started. They didn't have parades, so they just sent the MVP to Disneyland or World, I, wherever the hell. They oh went. no, that's just a that's just a uh, that's, that's just, just a branding thing. Yeah, that's Got just it. for much a money thing. The, the MVP no of the clue. Super Bowl gets paid a ton of money. Got it. To go do that. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. And it's decided ahead of time. Like, we will run you down. So that way they get the shot. They run the camera. They, they're told who the MVP is. Oh, okay. The camera crew runs after the player Got as it. he's shaking hands. And he says, hey, Pat Mahomes, you just won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do next? And sometimes they've had to do a couple people. They'll, and one of them doesn't make it. One oh, of them, yeah, Because yeah. they're not sure who the MVP is. Oh. They've had to, there's been a couple of years yeah. where they've had to do a couple. 
cut, shoot it twice uh, just in case. Uh, the zipper threw me off. Uh, I'm not sure where we were, other than the angst and agita of Buffalo Sabres fans. Western New York sports fans. And it's really kind of eclipsed, I think, a lot of the the good feelings that we had of Bills fans coming out to the airport and doing all the things that they were doing to rally around the Bills as they head into the postseason. It ends with a little bit of a clunker after giving up the lead in the second half in Houston. Uh, all of a sudden, DeAndre Hopkins starts heating up and the Bills can't figure out a way to stop him. The roller coaster of overtime, the disappointment, and then Pat Mahomes goes on and wins a Super Bowl and the Sabres can't get out of their own way. And the general manager, uh, you know, it, and the other thing that's kind of weird about it. So John Vogel, the athletic, wrote about this, that a member of the PSE executive branch uh, is reached out to Elliot Friedman for writing a note in his column, his 31 Thoughts column, that Terry Pagula is really frustrated with where the Sabres are right now. Why somebody would feel the need to call up and debate whether or not that's true is kind of is strange. Like, what, what's the point? Shouldn't he be frustrated? Absolutely. And then and for Jason Botterill, so then a week later, Jason Botterill, and the whole, one of the talking points is, oh, yeah, Terry's, Terry's pissed. <laughs> like, what's going on? I mean, it's just, you know, the whole deal with the tweet being taken down. And I know that there's a, the, you know, Dwayne calling into WGR and John Vogel wrote about him too. And that there is, uh, you know, that uh, a lot of people think that GR took the tweet down unilaterally and weren't forced to take it down. Uh, but even so, it, it's. It must be nice to live in that world. Everybody's just that? dancing around. Like, are, are, are we being too mean here? Are we. How do we make everybody happy? I mean, the fans are pissed off. Somebody threw their brand new Rasmus Dahlin jersey <laughs> onto the ice last night. And you know what that's probably in direct response to? Ralph Kruger saying, oh, this stuff, it doesn't reach my desk. Yeah, yeah, I'm vaguely familiar with it. I'm vaguely familiar that the fans aren't happy because we're losing. Of course they're unhappy, but that doesn't get to my desk. Oh, really? That's a good point. Well, you know what's going to get to your desk? We're going to start throwing stuff on the ice. Here, look at this, Ralph. Hey, Ralph, what do you think of this? We don't, we, we're essentially wiping our butts with stuff. We just spent this money. We're and lighting our money on fire here to show you how pissed off we are. And those jerseys, I believe that was one of the jerseys that they didn't make enough of. They yes. ran out of them. They <laughs> I made a limited count of them and they ran out. So this guy who's got really a, a valuable piece of merchandise you know he's like man they're not making any more of these i'm gonna throw it on the ice yep, anyway i don't care i don't want it he's a young player he still has a bright future it's a jersey that i could probably still wear with pride next year could the season, sell it you know, for whatever. hundreds of dollars sure probably that's a statement that is a statement i i already gave you my money and here screw off i'm done with it well that's the problem right he already gave him the money same with all the empty seats they're all already paid for yep. some way or another. That's it's not the, affecting the bottom line. No, it's not. It's the symbolism, symbolism of it. And I think that, that it absolutely resonates and registers with the Pagulas, or at least it should. Hopefully, I think it does. Uh, I, think it I think being liked matters to them. But what about 
if Ralph Kruger, who's in that arena 82 times, you know, 41 home games, and then however many games were on the road were, and there are a lot of them where Sabres fans are heavy in attendance. Mm-hmm. Um, so you feel, you know, and he's saying, I, I, I have a vague idea that they're upset, but that stuff doesn't reach my desk. Yo, I'm, obli- I'm oblivious. I'm insulated. I'm in a vacuum, which probably is healthy from a hockey operation standpoint. But to actually come out and say that is almost like a challenge to the fans. As soon as I saw that quote, I thought, <laughs> that's not good. And I, I don't know. I just think it's if the if it's if if Ralph Kruger's not feeling it, are the Pagulas who aren't in the arena every night? Are they really feeling it, or do they know? I mean, if I guess if they look at their Twitter feeds and stuff, which I'm not sure how active they are. A lot of people who are in positions like that, they might, for instance, just going back to the the photo from the Super Bowl that Kim Pagula tweeted out. It may be a tweet, and then you don't look. You know, I, I do that. Even me, I'll do that a lot. I'll tweet something, and I don't look at the responses because I don't want to the negative energy. Yeah, I would assume if that many but, people follow you, you do that a lot with almost every tweet. If you're yeah, tweet and hit and run. That's probably yeah. Dro- drop a tweet and move on. So I don't. Do, do they really know the extent of how upset they are? It gets at a really interesting. We're at we're in an interesting time with sports where, and I think Sabres fans are kind of testing the limits of this. Of how do you make yourself heard to owners who, like you said, might not be hearing any of this. They might not care that a jersey's thrown onto the ice or that seats are empty because it's not affecting their bottom line. So so what do they care? Or they're sitting there thinking, well, at least this football team is really great. Hey, we saved these teams. These people should be thankful for us. That once we start winning, they'll quiet down, which is probably true to some extent, but you know, if you're a fan, how do you voice your displeasure? Some people say stop showing up. I don't think that's really the best way to go about it. Because not everybody. It's not like they're going to walk in and nobody will be there. Somebody's going to show up. So, yeah, throwing your jersey on the ice, calling into the radio station and losing your mind. Um uh, Chance, chance in the arena. Sell the team chance at, at Knicks games uh, that have, have started. <laughs> and so they fired the general manager of the Knicks. Right. What was their response to that? <laughs> James Dolan, something else. I, it, if Sabres fans are upset about their ownership, just thank, just thank the heavens that you are not a Knicks fan and have to deal with James Dolan as your owner. Uh, I don't think the Pagulas are bad owners. I think they're pretty good owners, and I do think that they care about winning. But I just don't know how much they feel or understand the anxiety that's boiling here in Western New York. And I, as somebody who covered the team during their bankruptcy and right and what caused their bankruptcy, their owner actually being led away in handcuffs and having to sell one of the biggest employers in western new york adelphia communications and in the southern tier and all the jobs and promise and there was supposed to be a an adelphia tower built right where harbor center um harbor center and uh the hotel are right now the regases were building a adelphia tower right there all that was scuttled because of their uh cooking the books and uh, all their illegalities crimes that they were committing siphoning off money from their corporation, all of that. 
I don't think Sabres fans were nearly as upset in that time that they are now. And there was an actual undercurrent of we might lose our team. They were bankrupt. They had no buyers. That was kind of the difference, though, because for both the Bills and the Sabres before the Pagoulas came around, there was sort of this feeling of, well, we can't really turn our backs on this team or they will leave the market. And now I think because fans don't feel like the Pagoulas are going to take the team away, they can be more That's aggressive and complaining point. about the current state of the franchise. It's an excellent point. And uh, that could be part of it. But I, it was more of a malaise back then in 03, 02, 03. After ha- they got rid of Hashik, yeah, losing your the greatest player in franchise history, one of the greatest players in NHL history. You could argue, people would could probably argue the greatest player in NHL history. I mean, it's sacrilege to try to say you know anybody was better than Wayne Gretzky. But I think you're talking about the number one goalie of all time, according to the NHL Network, just a couple of years ago. Marc-Andre Fleury? Uh, <laughs> yes. And so, if and the, everybody always says, the number one position in, in hockey and maybe in all of sport is NHL goalie, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you, NFL quarterback, I think. But you people do make the... the, the, if, if, the if the greatest player to ever play the most important position... In in a sport, uh, in your town, forced his way out because he was sick of not having a chance or having to be carry the load seventy five nights a year, and he wanted to go play for a team that could actually score three goals a game. Forced his way out. The <laughs> the owners led away in handcuffs. The arena was at that just awful. And I just don't feel like it was as worked up as they are now, the well, fans. At, at that point, they were only, what, four years removed from playing in the Stanley Cup final? True, so but there some was... some of that was lingering. Yeah. I mean, there, sure, there are obvious differences, but don't... I mean, geez. I mean, that was a crater. That was a smoking crater. And, and, and again, maybe fans just view it as even a deeper smoking crater now. Maybe I, you know... It just seems more emotional now. It sure does. And yeah, I, I it think, was a malaise. People were upset, and but now it's just it, it's just uh, it's festering. It's worse than festering. It's starting to come out. It's it's picking a scab. I, I hate to get gruesome about it, but it is really nasty. Well, what I think it comes down to is nine years ago, Terry Pagula bought the mm-hmm. team and made a show of saying, you know, what was the quote? The Buffalo Sabers' only reason for existence now is to win the Stanley Cup. Now, nine years later, they really haven't been back in the playoffs except for that one season. And it feels, even if this isn't what the Pagulas are intending to do, it feels and appears as though they've moved on to the Bills and the NFL and stadium and developing downtown and the other franchises they've bought and sort of said, eh, we gave up on that whole Stanley Cup thing with the Sabres. Even if they haven't, that's the way it appears. That's the way the diehard hockey fans that care more about the Sabres than the Bills feel like they've been treated. Yeah, I think too, and and uh, just one last thought, I guess, before we hit the break, and we're and we're gonna have uh, Ryan O'Halloran. He covers the Denver Broncos for the Denver Post. He's gonna be on uh, to talk about us this topic. The what power do fans really have when it comes to the people who own their teams and the decisions that are made about their teams? The reason we want to have Ryan O'Halloran on is he used to cover uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars for the Florida Times Union. 
uh, award-winning reporter, and the Jaguars announced yesterday that they're moving a second game to London after the Jaguars, you know, started to support the team. They were taking some of the tarps off, and you know, the team's coming around after that 2017 playoff run, and um, it, they they were one game, one half. They were 30 minutes away from the Super Bowl. They were a Doug Marone away from the Super Bowl. <laughs> they were that they were. And now they're playing only six games at home. And so anyway, there's a the feeling of, of just dejection. Uh, Uncle Chaps from uh, Barstool, those who, uh, who follow him on Twitter, he's one of the biggest Jacksonville homers out there. And he says he's done with the Jaguars. It's his hometown and the whole thing. And uh, it wrote a very impassioned uh, column yesterday about you know, what a kick in the nuts it is to lose another home game. And uh, you know, so what power do fans really have? There's a big group of them down there trying to organize against this. They're, but they're they're asking this central question of, you know, because a lot of people are saying, I'm done. I'm not going to renew my season tickets. And then there's other people saying, no, let's fight back. Well, how, how do you fight back? Right. How do you fight back against Shad Khan? If he wants to move the team to London, he'll probably do it. I guess that's the question a lot of people are asking, and it's not an easy one to answer. And it's one... Sabres fans are asking themselves, too. And it's one more thing that popped into my head when Roger Goodell answered Vic Carucci's question last week at the Super Bowl regarding uh, the new stadium, which is a, such a redundant question, and it gets, you know, it, it's meaningless. And then finally some news broke the next day about the Bills uh, saying that they're not going to exercise that uh, clause in the lease that allows them to speed up the timetable uh, on uh, on the possibility of leaving uh, New Era Field. But... One of the things that Roger Goodell said at Jim Kelly's golf tournament, reiterated it again last week at the Super Bowl media day, was um, we need to keep the Bills viable in Buffalo. There was a kind of a wink of we're not leaving the door closed to the idea of talking in the future about this team having to move. Because that's the ultimate leverage when it comes to getting public money for a stadium. And I don't think that the Bills are going anywhere, but I do see that... Uh, that's the buzzword, that, viable. Yeah, it's, it, they, viable. they aren't talking about the Bills staying put and not leaving. There's still this there's still this door open. And then John Crick, at the end, gets in a question about Toronto, seemingly off the radar. And Roger Goodell says, oh, no, 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 Toronto is not off our radar. And so it was, to me, the juxtaposition of those two things... I don't think that it's coming anytime soon where we're going to hear any kind of threats, but let's say in five years, six years, there's still no new stadium and things have stalled and the state says we're not going to give you any money. And I don't know. This is me. Now I'm on a bit of a tangent. But what control do fans have? And by extension, or the public, even if you're not a fan, but your tax dollars are at stake and you know, you have things that you want to see your ownership do versus the local school district. Uh, you know, who, who, anyways, we're going to talk to uh, Ryan O'Halloran about that. When we come back. Ryan O'Halloran also covering an ownership mess with the Broncos right now, too. So, all kinds of things to talk about regarding the power of the fan, what the fan can do, can't do, whether he or she has a say uh, when we come back on the Tim Graham Show brought to you by CTBK, Sports Radio Tim Graham Show. Sports writer Tim Graham, who interviewed the Duggernaut. This is his story. Travis, Besaw, and Kirshner. 
You walk into the church and you're not a Catholic, and the Catholics say, well, when you get to the pew, you're supposed to genuflect to the altar. Let's give thanks for stuff and things. WHLD Buffalo. Well, I'm not a Catholic. It's like, well, you didn't genuflect. The Tim Graham Show. I don't know what that means. I, even, I was going to say, I don't know what that means either. He's genuflecting right now. The Tim Graham Show. Hallelujah. The fan. Praise be. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis Besaw and Kirshner, CPAs and business consultants, right here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. I am Tim Graham from The Athletic, here in studio with Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, Jonah Bronstein. Uh, I'm running out of things to call you. Do you, are you going to... My name is sufficient. Can you just take a steady job so I know I can give you a title? Why don't you hire me full-time at the Tim Graham Show? Tim, The Tim Graham Show's Jonah Bronstein. And uh, Bobby Rosati diddling the knobs here. That's how Jerry Sullivan introduces me when I call into his show. John Bronstein from the Tim Graham Show. Get out of here. Does he? Right, Bobby? He sure does. First and foremost. No kidding. All right, then. How about this, though? We have Ryan O'Halloran from the Denver Post on. He covers the Denver Broncos. Uh, he's uh, covered a lot over the years. He's a former NHL writer. He can speak that language, uh, bilingual, uh, as far as uh, Western New York and Southern Ontario is concerned. Uh, Ryan, thanks for coming on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Hey, guys. How are we doing today? Doing doing well. Uh, you were one of the first people I thought of when uh, Matt Fairburn and I were talking about this idea about how much how much power fans really have. And uh, in light of the Jacksonville Jaguars' decision to move a second game to London, you're covering an ownership situation uh, in Denver after the death of Pat Bolin and, and of course, uh, covered the Jacksonville Jaguars for a number of years uh, and know what that market is like. Um, so I don't know what your initial thoughts were when you heard about a, a second home game going to London for, uh, for the people of, of Jacksonville. Well, you know, I think it was inevitable over the comments from the last couple of weeks by team president Mark Lamping, Mark Lamping, because he evaded the question. That usually isn't Mark's style. I don't think this is the begin. My, my initial thought was I don't think it's the beginning of the end of NFL NFL in Jacksonville. It's, it's going to be the new normal, and they have they have a stadium that's not great for the heat. They have you know a market that's not as big as others, and they've sucked and. They couldn't. They couldn't capitalize on that 2017 playoff season, and they figured this is the best way to add another revenue stream. And uh, you know, we'll see what the fan base uh, figures uh, you know, responds. But I'm sure some of them will say six is better than none. What do you think? I mean, you mentioned you don't think this is the beginning of the end for for football in Jacksonville or NFL football in Jacksonville. There were comments or there's reports out there, suggestions that they'll go back from this, that, that it's temporary, just two games, and then they'll go back once, you know, I don't know when. Uh, I don't know what, yeah. what that temporary label is, but what do you make of that? And could they go back from this, or do, how do you think the fans will respond? Well, I don't, Matt, I don't think this is a one-year deal. I mean, I think this is going to be two games a year in perpetuity, so much as the, the demand for tickets remains what it is now, and that's that game in London. They've been there seven times. 
uh, has sold out, and it's a gigantic stadium. You know, the smaller venue is Tottenham, where the other games are being played. But you know, I think the league rubber stamped this. You know, you know, maybe one of the reasons is they're finding they're finding it more difficult for teams to give up home games to go there. Everybody wants to play a road game there. All the owners want to be able to have a party on Saturday night on a boat next to the Tower of London or the bridge or whatever you want to call it. But they don't want to give up that home gate. So by putting the Jaguars over there for two games and embracing that idea from the from the front office, you can you can send more teams over there to play a, you know technically a road game. They're not going to find any any problem finding teams to go over there and play the Jaguars. So that's the business rationale for it. But what gesture is this to the fan base? And as somebody who covered uh, covered it, knows it so intimately in terms of how well they really do turn out when things aren't going well versus the bandwagon, you know, versus uh, being properly jaded uh, over years mm-hmm. uh, of losing. But Ryan, is this uh, how how should the fans take this, and how do you think they are taking it? I guess that's two different questions. Oh. Yeah, how they should take it is, you know, this is this is what this is the new normal. As I said, you know, if you want to buy a six-game regular season ticket package, you know, there's still six there. You know how some people, are, how fans are taking it. It may be a vocal minority on social media. It's not kicking the ribs, uh, losing one game. They understood that because it represented at least the first couple of years I went over there. It represented at least sixteen to seventeen percent of their local revenue. So that clearly helped with stadium improvements, with the amphitheater construction, with player salaries. It helped them in that regard. You know, now going over there for a second time, and you know, you're losing another home game. I mean, I think there's going to be the loyal fan base who've been there since '95 are just going to say, "Hey, you know, we're still going to support this team." But I where it impacts them is that you know generation of Jaguar fans who are in their 20s who haven't really seen a winner outside of three seasons since uh, 2000. So it's, I think it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what the renewal rate for season tickets are because you have had two losing seasons. You stuck with a GM and a head coach that most fans wanted out. Um, you have no cap space, which is, you know, double sword because you, you're stinking, you got no money, and now you're losing another home game. Some of those, some of those people may just say, I'm done. Uh, I've given you my money long enough. We're in conversation with Denver Post NFL reporter Ryan O'Halloran here on the NCCC Thunderwolves Hotline. Uh, Ryan, uh, I guess a, a philosophical question here, and in general, as somebody who's covered sports for as long as you have, and I've, I've given the the mini bio uh, of uh, maybe there are there any big ones I'm leaving out? I mean, thinking Washington Capitals and uh, Redskins, Jaguars, Broncos. That's my quick uh, resume in order. Okay, um, the idea of just oh red. <laughs> Okay, Daniel Snyder. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess what, what have you come away with the coverage uh, over the years, and really, what power do fans have? You have uh, your owner; you're stuck with them, uh, and I think it's it's always fascinating, especially when we come up to uh, collective bargaining agreement time, whether there's a strike, whether there's a lockout, how fans will side with the team. Uh, they have a tendency to side with the owners over players, which I've never really... I guess I understand the dynamic because you know, they, they, they want to... They cheer for the colors. They don't they don't yeah. necessarily cheer. They want a game. They want a game to go to. Yeah, that's it. Uh, and the owner it represent, it handles those colors and everything. But anyways, uh, I've always thought that you know the rank and file or people, especially in western New York, which is such a great union town, just uh, doesn't 
always uh, see eye to eye with with players and and what their needs are and expectations. But I guess just what's your general takeaway from how much power fans really have when it comes to sports? What what is a way if things aren't going well that you can exact change? Or yeah, I mean I'm a, I'm too much of a cynic to, to, to think it happens. But. Yeah, I think it's a lot different, you know, college sports where, you know, the big boosters say, hey, we'll, we'll put together some money for a buyout. We're not going to pay for that indoor practice facility. You know, they have a lot more power at the college level. At the NFL, I mean, these owners get their payroll covered by a TV check before they've sold one ticket or one beer or whatever. So, um, you know, with the Redskins specifically, you know, this is, they've been staying away for years. And because it's a terrible stadium, it's a pain in the butt to get to, the team hasn't had any success, and nobody likes the owner, and nobody really liked the former GM, Bruce Allen. Okay, now Dan's going back to the well again, fired Bruce Allen, who'd been there a decade, hired Ron Rivera, um, made some other changes, and you know, I think the fan base may rally a little bit around a head coach even while they don't agree with what the owner's doing. But, you know, in terms of Jacksonville with losing a game, if, I, think, I think if season ticket renewals drop a lot, I don't think it's going to change anything. If anything, it'll, it emboldens Shot Cotton to keep playing in London because that represents a good chunk of his revenue from a local standpoint. So you know, I, I don't think anything the Jaguars fan base could do at this point uh, would impact their decision-making. Yeah, it's unfortunate. You're almost caught in between a rock and a hard place if you're a fan you say i'm going to stay away well then shot Khan says see nobody goes to games in jacksonville this is why i need to go to london three home games in london <laughs> you know it, it's yeah. just it justifies exactly what he's what he's trying to do what about i mean you covered dave caldwell doug marone you know these guys from a football standpoint i guess how did they how did they like going over there? I guess the funny juxtaposition for me is Shad Khan coming out and saying, you know, the the number one priority is winning. And then he takes, we'll play six games at home. That's how much we care mm-hmm. about winning. And we'll, we'll take two of them overseas. How much of a home game will it feel like? And I know they're staying there for the week, but how much do they even enjoy the whole process of going over there? I mean, I think when it was one game, everybody looked at it as a necessary evil. It's, hey, this is what ownership wants. Get on the plane. You land Friday. You play Sunday. You fly Sunday. You're at least back at your home base by Sunday night, and you can get going on the next week. Because my last year there in 17, they went over there in week three and then came home and played two straight road games. But it just feels like when you have, when you have nine on the road and seven at home, it just always feels like you're on the road. Um, because those home games, that counts as a home game. Then you have the bye. Then you got to make up that, you know, then you have to play a stretch on the road. So yeah, I think, you know, they tried different things in terms of when to go there. Do they spend the whole week there? Do they fly in on Thursday? Do they fly in on Friday? And really, I think the players looked at it as, hey, let's get there, let's do our business, get back on the plane. Well, I think the set, where two games over there, that second game is a definitely a competitive disadvantage because every time I've been over there, the best part of that trip is when the cab drops you up at Heathrow to come back to America. And I think the players that whole week are be thinking about what are we still doing here? When can we go home? When's our bye week? And I think that team coming in that second week is definitely going to have an advantage. Ryan, before we let you go, uh, what's the update on the Broncos uh, in their ownership situation? I know that you asked uh, Roger Goodell that question at his uh, annual State of the NFL News Conference before the Super Bowl, but 
I guess, and and beyond just an update, how uh, how significant is it that that things aren't settled? Second part first, Tim. Uh, it is very significant. Um, I expect this team to eventually be sold, and maybe within a year, once they get the litigation out of the way. The Cliff Notes version is Pat Bolin wanted one of his seven kids to rise up and replace him as controlling owner. Um, two of the daughters, 18 years of age, 18 years apart in age, have expressed their interest to do that. The trustees, three persons who've run the team for nearly seven years, they dismissed one of the candidacies and they've embraced Brittany Bolin, who just turned 30. Um, but she needs the approval and the support of her other siblings and her uncle to take over the team eventually. She's not going to get a majority. She may, If it's unanimous, she's never going to get that. So I think once they get through the litigation, the two oldest daughters are suing for the validity of Pat Bowen's trust. Once they get through that, I think the team would be put up for sale. And as you guys know, when you ask Roger Goodell a question, you have to read between the words. And my read on that was he's pissed. He wants this to gain some kind of clarity soon because it's not good for the league. At least it's not uh, the New Orleans Saints. Huh. How about that for a left-hand turn before I let you go, Ryan? Yeah, that. I mean, that's a family feud. This one really hasn't reached that stage publicly yet. You just have you know, two daughters from different mothers, but the same father who want the team. And, you know, that's, uh, that's a tricky thing. And what Pat Bolenink made his mistake is he didn't spread out the ownership of the team before he – became, you know, inc- incapacity of Alzheimer's. Because right now, let's say the, the kids do inherit the team, the estate taxes could be so crippling, they may be forced to sell anyways. Uh, because none of them own any percentage of the team right now. It's all going to be inherited. So it is, um, you know, uh, unfortunate, and it's really, really unfortunate to have to cover. Let's put it that way. It was one of the fears of Bills fans uh, when Ralph Wilson died that, uh, that because nobody in his family wanted to uh, maintain ownership of the Bills after he died, that that could then lead to serious problems, uh, including having to move the team. It turned out to be a blessing, yeah. uh, at least uh, at least how things worked out uh, for the Buffalo Bills, that they didn't ever at least have to fathom uh, the, the idea of a family squabble tying things up and making it worse. And, and right now you got Seattle. Paul Allen recently passed within the last year. Um, you know, right now his sister's running the team. Um, by all accounts, that's going to be up for sale soon. So, you know, you're going to have you know upwards of you know three billion dollars per team maybe. And uh, it, it's it's a interesting dichotomy when the the team doesn't stay in the family and goes for sale. So maybe the NFL will use that to try and get some get some new blood as ownership. Ryan, thanks for taking time out of your day to give us your thoughts on Jaguars, Broncos, and uh, and poor, pitiful fans. Always a pleasure, Tim. We'll see you guys later. All right, see you at the Combine. That was Denver Post NFL reporter Ryan O'Halloran on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. When we come back, more Sabres talk. We'll get into some bills. Uh, we have Chad Diedemenesis of Die by the Blade coming up uh, and more. Right here on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. 
Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by Shampoo Travis, Bisaw, and Kirshner. You know what they do. They're CPAs and business consultants. Title sponsor of uh, the Tim Graham Show here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. Here with Matthew Fairburn, Jonah Bronstein, Bobby Rosati. Jonah. What's up? You tell me. I'm just checking my zipper. Making sure we're not distracting the host. That's funny. <laughs> Where are we with uh, Big Four basketball? Oh, we're doing UB, this now. Yeah, UB with, uh, I think, a tough loss last night. Just when you think UB's starting to find its groove and put things back together, they, they start looking like a slightly above-average MAC team. And maybe it's the where they are in terms of the record and the power rankings. They've just had a weird season where they've played their best. They played up to the level of competition. They played down to the level of competition on a lot of nights. They've lost to the worst teams on their schedule, sometimes at home. Last night was at Eastern Michigan. They've beaten the better teams on their schedule. They beat first place Akron. They had that win at DePaul in the non-conference. It was maybe the best non-conference win of any MAC team. But they haven't had a whole lot of consistency. They had a four-game winning streak about a week and a half ago. They've lost three or four since. They haven't been able to play their best game for a sustained amount of time. And last night the issue was Eastern Michigan plays a 2-3 zone. UB's not a great outside shooting team, or they're rather inconsistent with their outside shooting. They took a lot of threes, and very few of them went in. It was their worst shooting game of the year overall and their worst outside shooting game of the season. I'm not even going to bother talking about the Metro Atlantic, uh, Canisius, Niagara. You know, Canisius maybe find a little traction, I guess. Niagara. It was Canisius a- is kind of struggling. What Canisius went through over the past weekends, they only had eight players dressed due to injuries and illness. And they lost uh, their first game on Friday night against Quinnipiac, one of the better teams in the league, then came back to beat Marist, the last place team on Sunday. But it was considered, because they only had eight guys, second game in three nights, that was kind of a gutsy performance with Niagara they did the opposite they lost at home against Maris the worst team in the league on Friday night and then had a big 15 point win against Quinnipiac one of their best performances of the season three turnovers which I think I read is a Niagara record so they've been a little bit up and down they had that winning streak we got Greg Paulus on this show at the right time when they were playing at their peak and then they lost the next three games after that and then they beat Quinnipiac which is a good win for them they've shown that they can play with these teams in the conference they're not the bottom feeder that I and a lot of people expected them to be, but they're the smallest team in the country. They're the worst rebounding team in the country, and you can't make your outside shots every night even if you're a good shooting team. So they go when they don't have their best offensively, they don't have another way to beat teams. Can you make a case for Greg Paulus as Metro Atlantic Coach of the Year? Because Niagara no, was supposed not, not to be with a, where they are in the standings. If they were higher in the standings, if they go on a run and finish in the top four, then yes. Okay. But I think right now they're they're in the middle of the pack. But it was such a disaster at Niagara. Everybody was looking at you no, know, they're going to win, be lucky to win four or five games, and they're winning. You know, one out of every th- three or four games. Which, well, I suppose you could make you can make that case, and that is the case. And if they have, they're enjoying one victories. of the better conference records. Yeah, he might get some consideration for that. But right now, five and five in the league, tied in the middle. I just don't think you can give coach of the year to a team that's. 
you know, performed worse in the league than five, six other teams. We should mention Bonavich. Bonavich is the best team in the Big Four. Then they lose three in a row, and now they've uh, put a couple of wins together against Fordham, and that was on the road, and then against George Mason on Saturday. They have George Washington tonight at the Riley Center. Uh, Big test. George Washington, always a quality program. But, yeah, what what Mark Schmidt's gang – is there is there something going on there that maybe hasn't been reported regarding injuries or something? What's, well, it's been reported. They're big man, their sophomore center, Ocean Ashuni. They're I'd have to I'm, would have to update these numbers based on the last few games, but at one point they were something like one and seven without him in the lineup and eleven and one with him. And they've lost some games with them since and they've won some games since so those numbers are a little different than the last time I looked that up but that was been the key to their inconsistency is they really can't win without him in the lineup they're playing better Dom Welch a local guy who's West New York's all-time leading scorer in high school is playing well he had one of his best games a couple games back and they're one of let's count one two three four six teams at six and three in the conference that that would be tied for third place and if you finish in the top four in the Atlantic 10 you get that double bye so Bonaventure is in good shape. It's another case of Mark Schmidt getting this team better as the season goes along. They're a team led by sophomores who I think were having a little bit of that sophomore slump early in the season when there were higher expectations, and now they're starting to play the way uh, that was expected of them. And with Ocean Ashuni healthy and in the lineup, they are probably the best team in the Big Four right now, even though they lost at UB. They lost to Canisius as well. And the team that maybe has the best chance of getting into the NCAA tournament, depending on how well they do in that Atlantic 10 tournament. I don't know if they right now have an at-large resume, but if they can find their way to the Atlantic 10 final and finish strong, you know that's a multi-bid league, and they might be in position for – there's two teams that are definitely going to make it, and they might be in position – I don't know, VCU, they probably won't have a better case than them, but they could maybe be the fourth A-10 team, depending on how they finish this second half of the year. Interesting matchup in the junior college ranks tonight. NCCC show NCCC. sponsor. We're, we're, we, uh, you know, but we're not picking favorites Show here. sponsor. Uh, but they're number 13 in the country, and they're going to play uh, downtown tonight at 7.30 against uh, ECC. ECC, who's number 9. Both of these teams have done very well for multi-years in a row. You know, I looked the number up with undefeated in the conference, both four and zero. NCCC has won twenty games now for the seventh time in eight seasons under Coach Bill Beeline, who's the winningest Beeline in the family this season. I I think NCCC is going to win more games than the Cleveland Cavaliers. They got about a seven game lead right now, and ECC's done very well with Alex Nwora. They've been good for several years. They're good again. Uh, I think for both of these teams, this is their first real tough test in conference play. So we'll see who wins tonight, and that might be a little bit of a preview for who's the favorite when you get to the conference tournament later in February. But if you like junior college basketball, both of these teams score 90-plus points a game. They press, they run. It's going to be an entertaining game for the few fans that show up. 7.30 tonight at the Flickinger Center, so uh, check it out. Good college basketball all around. Uh, when we come back, we're going to have more Bills and Sabres talk. Chad Diedemenesis from Die by the Blade will be joining us uh, when we come back on the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan.
Welcome to the Tim Graham Show. The Tim Graham Show. This is Sports Radio 1270. Just not hitting the hole. The fan. I know I'm going to get pimped. They're going to pimp me. Yuck, huh? I love sausage. Thank you, Tim. Shocking. Dizzying. How did this happen? When I bring the lumber, it's all about the hole. Tim Graham Show. I diddled uh, some pole. Uh, over the weekend. Right. Not me so honia. I did have an accident with a menorah. Here we go. On Twitter at 1270, a fan. Let ball. Taking your calls at 270 1270. What's up, baby? How you doing? Here we go. The Tim Graham Show. When's the last time you read the New Testament, huh? I'm trying to put my junk back in place. You're one of the guys I'm following on Twitter, you know. Well, I like this guy, uh, Tim Graham. Bobby, did you call an audible on that Howard Stern? Just like that? You fixed it? Oh, did it sound fixed? Yes. Well, then, yes, I did. Oh, you did? Okay. No, that's one of my pre-prepared, one of the pre-prepared intros. Oh, all right. I wonder if I maybe just... Uh, I think maybe you have two. I high-defed it then, yeah. I'll have to fix them then. There's one? No, no, that sounded good. Well, I'll do all of them, so they all sound like that. It was just the end. There's this. There's an effect you put on the, the one intro with Howard Stern. Oh, I see what you're saying. There's an effect. I got it. So I one. messed one up as opposed to... You didn't mess to, it up. Oh, you yeah. just, you altered it. You were, you overproduced it. Right. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> and that's not a mistake. That's not a mistake. That's Bobby's creativity at play. Right. I just, I don't, I don't know that we should mess with Howard Stern's, right. you know... I, that's like I want it. I want it framed on my wall. Right. You're not going to color on it. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. Down. I don't. Yeah. They're just exactly right. <laughs> You've heard I'm him not yell gonna... at Scott the engineer. You don't want to get that phone call. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. That. That's. We haven't heard from Scott the engineer in a long time on that show. Really. He's been kind of banished. True. Ooh. I hear he's on a different floor, and uh, he did something to upset Howard. Not working on the show anymore. Well, he's on the show, but I think wow. he's no longer. A character. He just wow. he's just a, he's just an employee. Well, you piss Howard off now. He doesn't take it anymore. No, I don't think it. Well, they never really did. But he he put up with. He it. never he went, fires anybody. Right. It's the amazing thing. Right. <laughs> I, I I may have fired more people than Howard. I think he talks about how he's never fired anybody. Yeah. Although I bet you he's fired Gary like I fired Rodak last year. Oh yeah. Where did he fire Artie Lang? Uh, no. Well, that's a good question. He has said that he's never, I think he said that he's never, oh no, he has, he's fired people. I can think of some, there's a bunch of contract stuff that would happen. He'd just be like, I'm tired of this. Jackie, Jackie Jokeman. Oh yeah. Right. I don't know if he was fired though. But Jackie would always leave and then at, at the end it was, he would leave and come back and Howard finally said, hey, you're not coming back this time. Yeah. How many times was Rodak fired? Just once. Just once. Felt like more than that. <laughs> He felt like it was less than that. He didn't think I was serious. We mutually parted ways at the end, so you don't, can't count that one. No, that's right. That's that phrase, mutually parted ways. Should have fired him at the end for effect. <laughs> Should bring him back just to just get to one on him. your score sheet. <laughs> that would be great. I actually was going to. If you recall, he weaseled out. He just oh, was on his last show, and we were five minutes before coming on the air, and he's like, ah, not going to be in next week. Gotta, I was like, what? There was, there was one more show, and then he's yeah. like, ah, I can't do it. I got um, movers are coming or something like that. And I had all these people that were going to call in. And I just then there turned out, then there was no Rodak farewell show. I might have I fired him during that show for a fact. Buffalo fans have fired Mike Rodak. I saw he chimed in on Jerry Sullivan's tweet about Jeff Skinner yesterday, and there were Buffalo people saying, hey, Rodak, why didn't you 
stick to Alabama swimming and diving and <laughs> leave us alone. Don't want to hear what he has to say about any of the Buffalo teams. That's surprising to me. Let's get <laughs> it. When, if Tom Brady uh, leaves the Patriots, we'll have Mike Rodak on to yeah. talk about that. Absolutely. And Bobby Rosati. Yeah. I'll have a new shirt that day if he leaves. Are you more of a Patriots fan or a Tom Brady fan? Tom Brady. Yeah. Yeah. Will you then root for the team that he signs with? Until he's done, yeah. Yeah. Most likely. And then what bandwagon are you going to jump on? No, then I then I don't think I'm really too interested in football. I I've really don't I'm not fascinated by it as I used to be. So you just like Tom Brady as like the way his face looks or well, why do you like He's so a good-looking guy, but no, I I really like No, I really like his um I like his approach to the game. I always thought he was cool to watch. Like I thought his throwing motion is yeah. is really unique, obviously. I don't know. I just I've always been fascinated with him. I like him off the field. I like his personality. Um I think that's the thing though. I never really like I like bands and stuff. I never really bought into a whole team. I guess like with the Penguins, I was always Mark Andre Fleury was my guy. I like Sidney Crosby, but I never really bought into a team completely. And maybe with the Pats, I did because you know the the connection. But are there that, any a- teams that would be deal breakers where you couldn't root for them even with Tom Brady as quarterback? Oh geez, uh, no, I don't think so. Like what about the Jets? No. Patriots fans aren't supposed to like the Jets, no, right? I, or, I wouldn't care, really. The Bills would be tough for me to swallow, but I'd do it. What if Tom Brady became a Democrat? Would you vote for him? <laughs> that, well, then we're talking. No, I, I, that, that's that's something I like to separate as well. Um, Jerry likes to point out the politics with Tom Brady, but no, I it's never really. I just I'm fascinated by the guy. Greatest football <laughs> player I've ever covered, and a good throwing moment. probably I've ever time. Yeah, yeah. Probably of all time. That's true, though. I didn't just make that up. I've always been fascinated by that. Speaking of the greatest of all time, during the national championship game, um, the the telecast during halftime, I think it was, they brought out the top 10 college football players of all time, and Jim Brown was number one to a little bit of controversy. If you're, do, you, do you recall watching this? No? I missed it. Okay. Well, they brought out the top 10 college because it's the 150th anniversary of college football. And so they did the greatest of all time. And Tim Tebow wasn't in the top 10. Can't you? Isn't Tim Tebow the greatest college football player? As much as you hate Tim Tebow and he was an awful NFL player in the whole thing, based on national championships, all the stat, he rewrote the record books. Yeah, I would say he has a strong case for number one, not just top 10. Yeah, he wasn't in the top 10. Is it because he can't throw the ball? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, but don't you have to be a little bit better at actually playing football than Tom T- than Tim Tebow? <laughs> but Tim he, Tebow was really but good But he ran football. the ball. He was he really was. effective. And he, yeah, you're right. Actually, Jim Thorpe football. was one of them. Was I have a feeling he was a better athlete than Jim Thorpe. You don't have to be good in the NFL to have been a good college football player. There are many, many examples of that. True, but the NFL exposed that Tim Tebow couldn't do some very – elementary things that are involved in playing quarterback. Sure. But so did a lot of other really good college quarterbacks. Yeah, I'm wondering, is there anybody else on that top ten that was a college star? Who was on that top ten, Tim? If you talk Was this a fever dream of yours or an actual... Talk for a couple more minutes and I'll be able to uh, come up with it. I mean, 150 years picking the ten best players, that's kind of tough to do. Archie Griffin, I remember, was on on the list. Cam Newton, Cam was, Newton was, was not really on the list. Uh, Herschel Walker was on the list. Uh, Cam Newton, Tim Tebow's backup. Was Desmond Howard on the list? No. 
Man, who made this list? Yeah. Um, was Jared Patterson on this list? Not yet, but he's <laughs> Sneak getting there. in there. Now that Charles he's got, Woodson? Now that he's got a little Heisman buzz, you can, you can tell he's going to be on some watch list next year. All right, so here we chipped. go. No Charles Woodson? 10 from oh, 10. Oh, it must have been more because he was on the ceremony. Roger Staubach, 11. Gail Sayers, 10. Barry Sanders, 9. Dick Butkus, 8. Earl Campbell, 7. Red Grange, 6. Number 5 is Jim Thorpe. 4, Archie Griffin, the only two-time Heisman winner for a bit. Uh, 3, Bo Jackson. 2, Herschel Walker. 1, Jim Brown. Jim Brown was controversial because... He had a really good college football career, but his it wasn't uh, wasn't he more of a, wasn't he more no, of a lacrosse player? He was a good lacrosse player. Let me look at Jim Brown's stats. So he broke out in the speak pros, amongst right? Yourselves while I looked this. Tim well, Tebow. he didn't break out. He was a legit right, but he established college, he his was at football Syracuse career. and was. Bronco Nagurski's number 14. Let's see. Uh, That's a long list. Tebow. Tebow's number 76. Ooh. it's a little bit of disrespect. Was this a fan vote or Behind, a committee? Like, all right, so number 74 is LaDainian Tomlinson. And okay, LaDainian Tomlinson was a great running back, but he was at TCU. He was terrific. He was. But Tim Tebow in the SEC and all the things that he did. How about this season Tim Tebow had in 2007? He had 895 rushing yards and 23 touchdowns to go with 3,200 passing yards and 32 touchdowns. That's 55 touchdowns Wow! in a college football season and over 4,000 yards. How many, uh, how many national championships did he win? Three? At least two. I think he went to three. Jim Brown, as a sophomore, because you couldn't play back in the NCAA, when you were freshman back then at NCAA uh, times, basketball or football, uh, 439 rushing yards as a sophomore, no touchdowns, 666 yards as a junior, and as a senior, 986 yards. He scored a total of 19 touchdowns. I'm sorry, 21 if you count receiving. Um, he was consensus All-America once. Just once. Tim Tebow um, won two national yeah. championships. He won the Manning Award in 2008. He won the Maxwell Award twice. He won the Heisman, the Davey O'Brien Award, the AP Player of the Year, two-time first-team All-American, two-time Heisman fi- finalist. He was a second-team All-American in 2009, three-time first-team All-SEC from 2007 to 2009, Jim Brown has won award, won a single award. It was in 1956, his senior year. He was consensus All America. Where was Vince Young on this list? He was a really good college football player. What about Reggie Bush? He Vince was Young was 80, oh, right. 81. Reginald Bush. Reggie Bush was. Come on now, come on. Sixty-one. Where's Charles Woodson on there? You're asking me to look so much stuff up. <laughs> I think I just saw 40. Okay. Somewhere around that. Would you is 41. that is that accurate? It's so hard. Like are, are we going back to when teams used to blow teams out, you know, 100 to 0? 
Sure. I mean, wow. Johnny Lujak and Bronco Nagurski and Jim Thorpe <laughs> are on this list. Okay, yeah. Tim, I think you're forgetting that Jim Brown was also the Syracuse place kicker. Am I forgetting that? That, that probably put him over the top. <laughs> All these see. other guys. How many of these other guys in the That's list? That's right. Tim Tebow points? did never kick. Jonah <laughs> raises a great point. Deion I think there's a little anti-homeschool bias going on because he was homeschooled growing up. Maybe that's what it is. People don't feel like it, it counts. I don't know. Tim Tebow was a lousy NFL player, but he was damn good in college. It's the same. It's similar if you want to talk about college. But who's the greatest college basketball player of all time? You Christian Leitner. Right. I was going to say Christian Leitner is in the discussion. I don't know, you know, Lou Elcinder, some other guys sure. probably ahead of him, but he's one of he had one of the greatest college careers. And I think he's number one all-time scoring in the NCAA tournament. He stunk I in think. the NBA, didn't he? He was an all-star once, but I think it was kind of like career yeah, achievement award. And he played game. a long time, which is impressive. Yeah, he came off the bench. He had a long NBA career. But, but he wasn't was, a star. Yeah, it was undistinguished, uh, aside from an all, one all-star appearance. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk to Chad DiDominicis. He's the managing editor for Die by the Blade. I'm sure his uh, blades are sharpened after the Sabres lose 6-1 to one to Colorado last night. A lifeless effort that uh, they didn't quite use this word. They used the word I can't because of the FCC. Uh, Rasmus Ristolainen said we were feces. We were poo-poo. Yeah, we were caca poo-poo. We skated out on the ice and made, and, and made feces. <laughs> we'll we're talk. adults. <laughs> <laughs> You should probably mention the sponsor right now. The Tim Graham Show is brought to you by CTBK. Right here on Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. The person you are trying to reach is currently unavailable. This is for my team. This is historic, Tim. No one. Stop that, young lady! The charity's on fire! The Tim Graham Show on Twitter at twelve seventy the fan. This is Sports Radio twelve seventy the fan. Welcome back to the Tim Graham Show, brought to you by CTBK. Sports Radio 1270, The Fan. Here in studio with Matthew Fairburn, Jonah Bronstein, Bobby Rosati, Diddle and the Knobs, answering the phones, getting our guests all lined up. And right now we're going uh, to the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline for managing editor of Die by the Blade, Chad DiDominicis. Chad, did you watch the entire game last night? <laughs> I did. I did. Um, Do you I'm feel obligated? Fuck it out. Um, partly because of like the game charts and stuff like that that I do. If I feel like kind of dirty, if I back out of it, and then I'm like, yeah, so and so had a good game, but I only watched half of it. So I'm one of the big people that always say like the charts don't tell everything. You got to watch the game too. So I feel like kind of dirty if I back out and then try to use the charts as a way to tell the whole story. Well, that's responsible. That's quality <laughs> journalism right there. That's that's 75% of my job. 
and that doesn't mean that I obey it. I'm looking right into Matthew Fairburn's eyes right now. We sit next to each other in the Bills press box. There may be a time or two that we point to each other, uh, point to our screens at, you know, some online sports memorabilia auction while while a play's going on or maybe Oh yeah, no uh, doubt. I mean you're definitely playing on Twitter like I'm saying in the press box. There's definitely times yeah. I'll be talking to people on Twitter and making jokes about how bad the team is and not watching the game, but that happens. Checking some in game betting on FanDuel. Hey, what, doesn't this look out of whack right here? You think we should jump on this? <laughs> All right, so uh, broad strokes question. Uh, we we just had you on the show two or three weeks ago, Chad. I know you're not happy with what's going on with the Sabers, and you weren't even before the first puck was put into play uh, when the season began. But mm-hmm. has it has it reached any new low? Is it, could it have gotten any lower? Are we just what what's your thoughts on where this team is now, and and what what can even be done about it? Well, since last time we talked, I think. Maybe the on-ice product hasn't gotten lower, but I think from an ownership standpoint of the beating they took, for lack of a better term, last week, you know, with the whole radio calling from that Dwayne guy and everything that kind of came from that, the whole snowstorm they got from all of that. So, you know, it's in that aspect, yeah, I mean, it's, it's gotten worse for them. Um, you know, it's, it's ugly right now. I mean, to be honest, last night, you know, you're down your best player. You got players tech, you got injuries. Sure, it didn't have to be six to one, but going into that game realistically, you probably thought it wasn't going to be pretty. But you know, it's it, it's the games before that. You know, when you came out of this, I think we kind of talked about it last time we talked. Coming out of this break, um, how important these games are with this homestand, and they just they fell flat. I mean, it started with losing, you know, to Ottawa. So I don't know. I, I mean, they're if they weren't toast before, they're absolutely toast now. You know, I didn't I didn't know because of the standings today they were actually just sitting twenty fifth in the league right now in the standings. But that's insane how far they've fallen already and how far out of it they are, and it's just, you know, it's the same things under Jason Bottrell. This is this is where they've been his entire tenure, and I, I don't know. It, it's gotten to a point now where, especially if the bad PR continues, when you have fans booing, throwing jerseys on the ice, I just, if it continues, you know, how do you, the same thing how last year, how do you bring this guy back if he continues this poorly? As an astute hockey mind, Chad, make a case for Jason Bottrell to stay, and maybe try to, if you can, fill us in on what his plan is. Uh, it's going to be hard for me because I'm on the. <laughs> I know. Well, that, that's kind of <laughs> that's the point of the exercise. I want to see if I, you know, how if I can get you to even think that way. If because um, if, if there is even anything to say, I'm not. I'm. I'm neither here nor there on Jason Botro because I was a fan of the hire. I'll, I'll admit it. Yeah, I, I liked it, I was but. Yeah. Um, I don't. I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not sure what I, I. I'm not reading the tea leaves. I, there are no tea leaves to read for me. Yeah, yeah. It's you know. I mean, if you're going to make an argument, it's you know. First, first thing is you let me hire a coach last summer. You know, the, the way I kind of looked at it is once the Bedoulas let him hire a coach, um, I always said he got at least two years unless things really went off the rails this season. Well, things are getting close to getting off the rails, so we're getting pretty close to that point. But I always thought he had at least two years once he got a new coach. Um, you know, you, you could tell ownership that, hey, uh, I know it, it's been tough, but we're going into the summer. 
uh, all his cap space, all his contracts coming off. Uh, I have a couple of key restricted free agents. We're going to get those guys signed. And then I'm going to kind of go to work here. And with this whole new cap space I have, uh, put together a team with my vision with Kruger, and we're going to see how that goes. Um, I, my confidence level in him being able to execute that is very small right now. The thing that scares me the most um, is if you give him that opportunity, you allow him to do that. Uh, you give him a clean slate, essentially, that's kind of rare for another GM if you would have brought him in in the summer. Uh, you let Botterill fill all those holes, basically fill the entire roster. I think he has five or six guys on the contract. You let him fill that entire roster, and then things start poorly. And then in December, you fire him. And then next, the following summer, you got to hire a general manager. Well, then you are kind of in a way of getting into a mini restart again when you could have maybe not done that if you just had a new guy in place this summer. So it's if, if there's any doubt at all in the Bagulas that in his in their confidence level in him being able to, you know, correct the ship here and, and go with this team, I, I think they have to pull the trigger and maybe try to get somebody new in there because if you fire him in December after giving him this summer, you're you're going to be in trouble. And uh, I, I don't think your best player is going to be very happy and want to hang around to that reboot, if you will, either. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you, Chad, is the, the danger, I guess, of, of hanging on to this guy. So I'll spin it forward to, to ask you, how quickly could a new general manager, because it doesn't seem you have confidence that that the current general manager could you know get this thing turned around for next season, but how quickly could a new general manager with some fresh ideas and a sharp hockey mind come in and take this roster from where it is to where fans want it to be, with, which is at least contending and perhaps once in a while qualifying for the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, look, teams do all the time in the NHL. You know, there's there's that parity where teams go from the bottom to the playoffs all the time. And Colorado did it last year. New Jersey did it the year before, I think. You know, teams do it do it all the time. It, it happens. Edmonton's going to do it this year. You know, it, it happens all the time. Vancouver's another team that's going to go from the bottom to probably a playoff spot. So, I mean, you especially having that, that – base you're going to have this summer and the free ability to you know, like I said, that's, that's rare for a general manager to have such a clean slate if they come in. Uh, they're not going to have to worry about getting bad contracts out of here or getting players they're not familiar with. They can kind of start to get their players in there early and not to mention you have the cornerstone of a top pair defenseman in the top line center. So you have arguably two of the most important things in hockey you need is a top line center and a top pair defenseman. They're already here one is 23, I think, and the other one's 19. So, like, you know, those those key pieces are here. It's just you need a guy who can build around it, who can find the talent. And, you know, I'll give Bader a credit. He's done some nice things with the defenseman he's brought in. But for three straight years now, we've seen it in trade after trade after move after move. Even the O'Reilly thing, this, this general manager, this, this team has a hard time finding good forwards. They traded O'Reilly. They got essentially nothing back in it. Uh, VC was a disaster. They decided to bring in Johansson to play second line center, and that was a bad idea. Sherry never lived up to it. It's just, you know, it goes and it goes around and around. He just, in this team, badly needs forwards. I mean, I know we got Skinner that fell into his lap, so that's, you know, that's a feather in his cap, but this team needs forwards so badly, and this group has shown the inability to project forwards and bring in the correct forwards. So, you know, I, I just, I, I, like I said, my space, my feeling that he could do that is very low right now. We're in conversation with Die by the Blade managing editor Chad Dinaminesis on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Uh, Chad, it, I think we're well past the point where 
we tune into games, and I know that you're in a little bit of a uh, different mindset when you're watching these games because it's so statistical and analytical from a player standpoint. Every uh, you know, every movement of the puck, really. But most fans tune into the games. They sit down, and they just kind of absorb what's going on on the screen. The puck moves to the left. It goes to the right. There's a nice pass. There's a power play. There's, you know, yeah. it's you're there for, for the diversion of it and maybe not looking at it that deeply. But I think we're well past the point where you tune into a game hoping for a bill or a excuse me a sabers win or loss and how it mean uh, what it means for things like the playoffs or whether or not this team has turned the corner because even if they win tomorrow against Detroit a team with 12 wins uh, and 28 points on the season it'll be meaningless really in the grand scheme right. it's not going to make anybody yep. feel any better to get a win against Detroit uh, there's this holistic aspect i think to watching the sabers uh taking it all in as and it this organism of what is this that we're seeing um as somebody who does follow the game so close at the at every little detail what you how did when you pull back just for a feel on this team how this team makes you feel or should or, or the people that you talk to how bad is it? I mean, how how bad do you think this is relative to uh, previous seasons or the tank year? Or maybe, I don't know, you know, how far you want to go back, but I was talking earlier in the show about uh, when the Reguses, uh got arrested and the team had to file for bankruptcy. Uh, can you compare mm-hmm. to previous years where we are right now and the, the angst? Yeah, I mean, you go back to the tank year, I know that's what kind of where I'll, I'll go back to as a starting point. It's the team was bad, but the majority of your fan base bought in because they knew what you were doing. They, there was a direction in place. The, the Murray did what he did, and he had a plan that he was going to go to the bottom and get a couple of good players. He got Reinhardt, and then the next year he really wanted McDavid, and he threw a temper tantrum, but he got Eichel, and becomes a great player. So, I mean, the whole goal was to either get McDavid or Eichel that season, and they got it done. Everything after that, has been a fundamental failure of this team. And literally everything after they everything after that draft where they acquired Eichel, because they got O'Reilly too, and that was a good move. And you know they got a, you got a Vander King a couple months before that. But everything after the Eichel draft, besides getting falling you know into Darlene on accident, uh, has just been a failure. They 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 messed everything up from that point, and it's it, it it's conceivably hard to do that for a team. You know, I'm sorry, a league where half of the teams in the league make the playoffs every single season. We're going on year nine now. They're going to miss again. And not only are they going to miss, they're not even going to be close. They're going to miss by a lot. So I think the reason why you're seeing so many people just, you know, I, I get, I think, frustrated and not buy in and, and just kind of just are over it is because we're at a point where it's different than the tank year to where it is now because they're not supposed to be bad. And then nobody knows what the direction is. Nobody knows. You, you, you hear the general manager talk. Were, were they supposed to be bad this year, or was he trying to be good? Which one was it? Was he waiting for the contracts to go off, or was he trying to put players together and kind of get into the playoffs this year? Because you don't know. You don't know what the direction is. You don't know what his plan is going forward. You don't know if he wants to have a defensive team with this coach who's done some nice things defensively, who has improved, or if he wants to add offense to go along with Skinner and Olsen and Eichel and Reinhardt and be kind of more an offensive team. It just... There's absolutely no direction. You only have one top-end prospect in the system in Dylan Cousins. Uh, Matias Sandelson looks 
rough right now. Ryan Johnson's having a rough freshman year. Those are your, the last few top picks. I mean, Lucan looks nice right now, but, you know, you never know with goalies. And, you know, beyond that, like, you just don't have anything to look forward to besides Dylan Cousins. Middle stats in the age all struggling. That You messed that up because you tried to force him in. Hopefully, if he's still here, we don't see the same mistake with Cousins next year. That's kind of my fear. They're going to go look at, I have a 19-year-old center who did well in juniors. Let's force him in to be the second-line center. Just, I, I don't know. It's just there's no sense of direction, and, and I think that is an indictment on the general manager. Another reason why I think his job should absolutely not be safe when the season ends. To compare to the Buffalo Bills, which is sometimes tricky to do, but I, I think it it's germane in this situation. Since Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean took over with the Buffalo Bills, one of the things that I think the entire organization has done really well is messaging in terms of, all right, they sneak into the playoffs in 2017. The fan base very easily could have thought, okay, here we go. But they did a masterful job, I think, in in rebranding themselves and the things that they would say. They didn't get anybody's hopes up, and they didn't really do it with too much you know, read-between-the-line stuff. I mean, they were tapping the brakes pretty quick. They knew yep. that 2018 was going to be a, uh, a reset button year, especially after Eric Wood uh, had to retire. They lose Richie Incognito. And I think they did a masterful job of controlling the fans' expectations. And I think that the Sabres have just failed in, it, uh-huh. in telling or at least conveying to the fans what they should expect. They've left everybody to guess. For far too long, and so now you have these wildly disparate. Uh, you talk to you know ten different fans, you're going to get ten different responses as to what they thought the Sabers were going to be this year. Uh, yep. But it gets then it gets toned, uh, thrown totally out of whack when they get off out of the gate as well as they did. So even the fans that were all right, I don't expect much this year. Well, now they don't know what to think. Now they're confused, and you know the it's. I think it's it's a. It's a very, and I've talked about it on the show before, I think it's a very, very underrated part of your organizational strength is the ability to manage expectations, not just you know, throw out words here or there when you think things are getting sideways or reveling in when things are going great. It is a consistent a plan of this is what we need the fans to know so that way they don't revolt yeah yeah i think the biggest indictment too if you can when you go back to look and you try to understand what was their plan last summer is they made all these moves to acquire defensemen and like oh okay they're going to move some for forwards but it never happened and then now you have like 13 nhl defensemen in the age on the nhl and you still you moved one in scandela and just still like what was your plan did, did you think you were moving somebody that never happened Shouldn't you have realized you were going to, like, what did you get, Miller? Because you thought you were going to trade with the line in. Well, couldn't you have made sure you were trading with the before you got Miller? Because now you have a second-round pick and a fifth-round pick tied up in Colin Miller, and he's played maybe half the games because he sits in the press box because you have nine defensemen. Lawrence Pilot, who's arguably your second-best left-shot defenseman in the team, played half the year in the minors. I mean, he probably should have been in the NHL. Just there's, It's just it's organizational just confusion all the way around and not – just, it's, again, it goes back to, I don't know what the plan is. I don't know what they were trying to do this season. And, and fans pick up on that, too. Fan, hockey fans, in this, even football fans, you know, in this town are smart, and you really can't put a lot by them. What did you, did you come away 
feeling any better or worse when you heard Jason Botterill speak yesterday? The same. It's just, I, I don't, I, you know, he, I think he struggled with a lot of the questions. And again, it's back to, I don't know if he knows. I mean, and I understand, you know, the whole, like we said a few times here, the whole thing is you need a forward. And I understand he's tried to make moves and, and I know he's been trying to do things. But that is your job. You, it, it, I know it's hard to make moves in season, but that's why a lot of people were so adamant that you had to make these moves in the summer and you just didn't. You just ignored it. And, you know, just to speak again, we're on year nine, ten of development, development, development. It's just people don't want to hear it anymore. People don't want to hear about draft picks and development. And then when you're throwing, like, oh, Eichel developed even more this year, like, stop it. Like, <laughs> Eichel is no longer a development player. Reinhardt is no longer a development player. Your development players are Olsen to an extent, but he's a 24-year-old who played pro hockey in Sweden for three years and then in the AHL last year. Same as a pilot, 24-year-old that has pro experience. They're quote-unquote developmental players, but not really because they're older. They're, their age curve is, is farther along. So your, your real only development player this year was kind of middle set and, you know, Thompson to an extent, and you had that injury, so that's unfortunate. And Darlene's had an up-and-down year. I guess Yoki Haru's kind of a younger player too, but... It's just hearing the development and that whole thing and, you know, keeping it in small windows. And it's just, it's just it's a lot of talk to me. It's a lot of talk of just buzzwords and trying to get things by fans and hope they'll understand. And it's just, it's just not going to work anymore. The only thing that's going to fix thing is winning hockey games. And I, I don't know, maybe they'll get lucky again and fall into a top three pick, uh, which they badly need in the summer, and then get your second-line center or elite player that way. But... You know, it's relying on luck is couldn't be a plan, you know, for any any team. Yeah, it sounded like whoever helped uh Jason Bottrell out with his talking points heading into yesterday was the same person who helped Doug Whaley out with his talking points. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and that was right. the last time we heard from Doug Whaley. Maybe this will be the last time we hear from Jason Bottrell because uh I don't know. I guess we're gonna see how uh what the Pagula's appetite is for uh, this is a stress test, I think, uh, for yeah. the Pagulas and what they can tolerate from their fans uh, in terms of uh, whether or not a move has to be made. Uh, maybe they, maybe they uh, remain patient and there is a plan in place that they have signed off on and Jason Bottrell is following that plan. We just don't happen to know what it is. So, um, yeah, there's all kinds of things that are going on behind the scenes that uh, that I guess could explain why... Jason Bottrell hasn't made the moves uh, that we have expected him to make. But again, that goes back to communicating with the fans, managing expectations. It's an art uh, that, uh, that uh, hasn't been mastered uh, with, our, with our local teams, or at least not with the Sabres yet. So, right. yeah. uh, Chad Didemenesis uh, from Die by the Blade, thanks for joining us. Yeah, man, anytime. All right, we'll have you on again soon. I look forward to it. I always enjoy it. That was Chad DiDomenesis on the NCCC Thunderwolves hotline. Come be a part of a winning team at Niagara County Community College. When we come back, we'll digest that. Some Beals. Whatever else anybody wants to talk about, feel free to call in at 270-1270. And uh, send out a check to welfare for Frank in Williamsville. We haven't heard from him today. Hopefully he's doing all right. Send out the Frank signal. Didn't he get bumped last week, too? Well, 
He, he did, actually. We, cha- we He got ran from the show. Right. Not for any fault of his own. We had Scooter Vertino, That's and right. we had only 15 minutes to talk to Scooter about the Kobe Bryant tribute on TNT. And Frank, uh, I think Frank understands. Evidently not. He probably wanted to hear, but maybe not. I thought it would make him all the more likely to call in this week. Or, unless he was offended. Maybe a new show to Maybe call he's off. Yeah. Maybe he's giving us up for Lent. He saw what happened to Dwayne and the way he took <laughs> off. And he thought, man, I'm not going to get anywhere calling into this Tim Graham show. That's right. I don't like this guy, Tim Graham. All right. We're going to have more. Brought to you by CTBK right here on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan. This is the Tim Graham Show. So you're telling me there's a chance. Dennis Erickson involved? I don't believe so. He, I think he was involved in the uh, the other one, the AAF. I think he had a, had a club there. The AMF. I didn't watch much of the AAF either. We watched it on the plane coming back from somewhere. But other than that. I'm not that interested in it. Although I am compelled to check out this betting aspect of it they're going to have the lines posted right there on the screen the, all the inline stuff that's crazy you know the hope would be that the nfl takes some of the good ideas that the xfl has because the xfl is going to move fast and break things and some of it will be good some of it won't but you know there are times throughout the year where there's an nfl game on on a thursday night and i'm like i i can't be bothered with it so why am i going to watch even worse football well if they do some interesting things and they you know some of it's going to be stupid but some of right. it like what you're talking about might be worthwhile and so maybe the nfl could learn a thing or it's two. a test subject for the nfl without having to sacrifice any of its games whether it be preseason the hall or of fame game invest like any money right yeah. the nfl's right. not involved in any way to my knowledge unless i'm no, speaking out of xfl here. vince mcmahon has said specifically it will not be any way involved with you know farm system minor league teams in the nfl so I, whether that's changed, I know he said that from the beginning. And there's He's a the deadline at some point. They have to wait to a certain point before they can even offer XFL players contracts. Oh, wow. I didn't even so see that. So I think that. you can't be like plucking guys. Yeah. Don't be a guy plucker. Exactly. Rules to live by. Do we have Syracuse basketball today? <sighs> Let's take a look. I don't think so. No. No basketball tonight. I lost track of segments. I thought we needed to get another break in, but we're out of show. Yeah. Well, not out of show. Don't wish away these last five minutes. <laughs> Just dead air is for that five you, minutes. Is that you wishing it away? <laughs> it's the, uh, we're going to do a Sopranos finale into today's uh, Tim Graham show, brought to you by CTBK. Jonah, any parting words? No, we got four more minutes, so I don't. He's, no, not ready to part. For the He's not ready to part. Right. Matt, what was your favorite part of you this get version to? of the Tim Graham show? My favorite part. I like talking to Ryan O'Halloran. Great guy. Really knowledgeable. One probably. of the all-time great press box guys. One of Absolutely. the people that you look forward to seeing, too, when you go cover an event. When, uh, when the Broncos were in town this season or when you go to the Super Bowl, the Combine, all that stuff. What was your favorite part, Bobby? 
Um, my favorite part, I honestly, I really like listening to Chad. I, I think he's got some fiery takes, and I, I thought he was, I thought he was spot on about the Sabers. Um, I'm getting sick of this whole Dwayne thing. So hearing somebody that's a little more um, sound in the way they think about the Sabers was, was Chad's refreshing. phenomenal. Chad, and one more point that wasn't brought up: we're talking about the uh, the. The frustration level of Sabres fans boiling over more so now compared to 03-04 or the bankruptcy times. Uh, one thing we're leaving out is the social media aspect of it and the fact that we know Buffalo sports fans and they love to do things for the sake of showing it off, whether it's they're showing up at the airport, passive aggressive charity doings or they're all the all kinds of stuff is lighting themselves on fire and smashing through tables oh we're gonna see how many clicks this gets. so they're gonna do things for not only because they're upset but they're gonna add in the extra element of for effect so we're gonna let's see what, what let's see what else we gets thrown onto the ice well social media also gives them a what they view as a direct line oh well kim pagula is gonna ignore my tweets i'll tweet at her daughter which oh, now right. her daughter deleted her Twitter because she was so sick of hearing from fans. So, I mean, people get a little brazen on there, yeah. especially when they don't have their name and they feel like they can just do whatever they want. And when you don't hear from the Pagulas, there's no accountability there. They, they never speak. Well, Kelly right? Pagula said that they are 100 times more frustrated than the fans okay, are. Okay, sure. So, there's that. <laughs> I'm glad. Fans can take solace in that, <laughs> knowing that they're stewing in... Boca Raton. Maybe the Sabres and the arena personnel should talk to the Bills stadium personnel and law enforcement to see how they were able to stop 70,000 people from throwing a dildo on the field for the Patriots game this year <laughs> to end that streak. Because, I don't know, I just sense they're like a movement of some kind. Somebody's going to try to come up with something. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that's par for the course for, for Buffalo sports fans, right? They're going to try to come up with some tradition. Maybe a dildo. Because it's been oh, no. chance, you know, do something Darcy, you know, fire whatever. But, you know, you had a guy throw a jersey. At, you know, maybe people are making homemade jerseys. Maybe we'll see bags over heads. Oh, maybe we'll there was see. One it's already night. been there. Yeah. yeah, there has been that. There's also, the Bills have also done a good job of somehow Maybe people are still launching themselves through flaming tables, but I don't seem to see it as much. Well, they've they've taken over. They've taken over some key lots. Yes, some key real estate. But it's still happening, but it's not that cool when you see the video anymore. If yeah. it was ever cool, but it, it's nothing. Then you had that guy that looked like anymore. he almost died in Tennessee doing it. <laughs> yeah, that was. Great. He, he was all right in the end, but <laughs> that was a nasty, nasty fall. Right on the face. Yeah, you'll have that. I think that sobered <laughs> some people up to the whole jumping through tables. <laughs> I want to thank everybody for listening today. I want to thank Ryan O'Halloran of the Denver Post and uh, the Post. No, <laughs> the post. no I said no <laughs> way post. for the Denver Post and Chad D. Domenicis from Die by the Blade. For joining us on the NCCC Thunderwolves Hotline. Thanks to Jonah Bronstein, to Bobby Rosati, to Matthew Fairburn, and to you, the listener, for checking out today's Tim Graham show brought to you by CTBK on Sports Radio 1270 The Fan.